0: Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the BadgerBlitz.com podcast. Of course, brought to you empowered by Overtime Media. Jay Kokorowski, John McNamara here. We got a lot coming up for this show. We have a short mailbag uh, segment coming up for you guys. uh, You guys ask some questions on our Badgers Den message board for subscribers. We're going to answer a few of those before the night is over. But we got a lot to get to. We are going through our 2019 position previews. John, you and I had Jason Galloway on from the Wisconsin State Journal to talk about quarterbacks and safeties. Tonight, from WOZN, the sports director, co-host of the Camp and the Swing podcast. Also, my BFF and my fashion consultant for Tampa coming up. I sent him a couple of pictures of of some nice garb, some nice (laughs) wardrobe I'm going to have down there. Uh, we got Zach Heilper and Zach, my friend. How are you on this evening?
1: As I tweeted back at you, I don't know you, Jake, and I will. Not, I will. I will go ahead and say that if you show up in that shirt in Tampa, you will not be. Uh, we will not be talking to each other. No, I'm kidding. It was. It's a great shirt. It's a great shirt. Looking forward to Tampa. That's uh, not too bad. away. already seen a month and a half.
0: Yeah, I know. I know we got to get John down there to Tampa somehow.
2: No, you guys just uh, fill me and how it goes. I'll be happy
0: to stay <laughs> up here.
1: <laughs> it's going to be hot. I'm, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh man. I still remember two days from Florida back when I used to play. I was a terrible uh, JV quarterback, but for that matter, doing two days in 95 degree heat and hundred percent humidity was fantastic. Um, but yeah. But we are happy to have you on uh, the show. And today today on this podcast, we're going to talk about running backs. Uh, a little bit of fullback action, too, of course, because Wisconsin actually utilizes them. And then later on, we'll talk about outside linebackers. But, you know, first, let's talk real quick about running backs and kind of a preview on this show for that. And obviously, the position in the group starts with Jonathan Taylor, 4,171 yards you know, in the past two seasons, Doak Walker Award winner, kind of a two-parter to start off with, Zach. What does Jonathan Taylor need to prove this season in terms of college football, if anything? But then what does he have to prove for the second part, possibly to NFL personnel? And and does that revolve around the complete back mantra, if you will?
1: I feel like it's kind of the same answer for both questions, right? Um It's pretty clear that he needs to prove he can be an every-down back. I don't know if you guys had a chance to read it, uh, but it's probably worthwhile. Uh, the Q&A with Jesse Temple that uh, he had with John Settle, the running backs coach, um, throughout it, he couldn't have been more clear exactly that's exactly what Jonathan Taylor needs to do. Um, now, for me, it's a matter of whether Wisconsin's actually allow him to be that uh, because it's in, in the article it says they want to give him 300 touches, but they only want 250 of those to be rushes, another 50 to be catches. I don't, unless their passing game, you know, but if their passing game doesn't improve over what it was last year, they can't do that. I and mean, it was a disaster last year. They needed to, you know, give him the ball as much as possible. And if that was the only way that they were winning games. So um, we've heard it before with guys that they want to get involved with the pass game. It hasn't necessarily happened. You go back and look at the number of passes that running backs have caught in the last four years, you know, since Paul Chris returned uh, it was 55, 46, 39, uh, 36. 39 uh the last four years and so to sit there and say this is what's going to happen i'm not necessarily necessarily sure it actually is going to um but in terms of what taylor and to prove, he needs to prove that yeah he can be that every down back and be that guy that uh, teams in the nfl can um leave out there for all three downs and um so far he has not obviously proven that to be the case because last year they said they wanted to give him the ball more in the past game that didn't happen so um, that's that's what it comes down to. He's proven everything he can running the ball. It's, it's all about the rest of his game.
2: And behind Taylor, uh, you know, I'd be curious about your opinion on this, Zach, uh, with Bradrick Shaw. Uh, do you think that, you know, whatever they get out of Shaw this year is just a bonus? Or do you think he could have, you know, maybe like a Taiwan deal as senior season where. Uh, you know, he's going to give you some, some good carries and, you know, allow you to get, you know, Taylor off the field and, and really be another threat for you at, at this point in his career.
1: Yeah, you know what? I'm anxious to see what he looks like because he did not look – I mean, he did a little bit in the spring, but well, there was much there. He, he looked like he was still limping. Um, he's gone through hell, certainly, since he last carried the ball in November of 2017. I think what he gives him is an experienced backup. Yeah, I mean, I don't think – if we're going to be fair about it, his freshman year, he looked good, right? He over, averaged over five yards to carry. Even in the in the time in twenty seventeen, he only he was under four yards to carry, and that that's not good when you're at Wisconsin. Uh, if you're averaging under four yards to carry, and that's what he did, and so I'm I'm not sure. I guess he might be able to compete uh, with some other guys for that backup job, but I I'd love to see where he is physically before you know trying to guess uh, whether that's going to be a possibility or not. I would I would lean toward not, but again. We don't know what he's going to look like.
0: And then, too, behind him, there's Nakia Watson. He was injured for, for part of spring ball, we saw. and But, you know, in my opinion, he arguably had the best run of the spring. I think it was the April 19th practice. It was like some, maybe like a 40-some-odd yard run. Uh, but, you know, what did you see out of him in the spring that you think Wisconsin fans and even, of course, the coaching staff could get excited about?
1: Yeah, so I'm gonna preface this by saying that I'm not saying he is Monte Ball, but he reminds me of him in his running style. And I mm. um, had to go back and had to go back and look at it myself. Uh, 2009, 2010, before Monte lost the weight, um, you know, when he was just uh, bullying through people, and he was tough to bring down. Uh, and he was all. It seemed like he was always leaning forward. The run that you mentioned on on the 19th, um, perfect example of kind of what. Uh, a, a bat of where he broke a couple of tackles and he was tough to take down. And I, I think he could be a perfect compliment uh, for JT in that respect. Again, I'm not saying he's going to be money ball. I'm not saying he's going to run for, what is it? 71 touchdowns or whatever it was, but he has the, he runs like money did his first two years. Um, and I think that is, I think he's got an opportunity. And, I, and he's the guy I would look at and say, if JT is going to carry the ball 250 times, then uh, Nikia Watson be the guy who get what fifty carries, seventy five carries, something like that, some a, a number where he could make an impact. I think he is the guy, not named Jonathan Taylor, I'm most excited to see.
2: Yeah, then going into that, uh, from your answer there, uh, Garrett Groshek, uh, you know, I'd be curious to see if he moves into that backup running back spot where you see him spell uh, Taylor a little bit, or do you think he'll stay in that third down role? Uh, which he kind of solidified this past season.
1: Yeah. You know, I'd love to know how the number of times Garrett Groshek's lined up in uh, in a formation that wasn't shotgun. You know, like, I I, I can't imagine it's been too many. Um, I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm just saying I don't think it's been asked of him very much. And this kind of goes back to the complete back thing. Like, if, if uh, you know, if Garrett Groshek, you know, what is his role if Wisconsin wants to get uh, Jonathan Taylor so involved in the pass game? Is he going to be out there? nearly as much I think he brings a ton of value to the lineup it's hard to keep him off the field and if you know if JT has grown so much that they trust him in all those situations that figures to cut you know into Garrett's role I guess right I mean I don't know I would think that that would kind of you know hamper him in terms of how many times he's going to see the field but again I guess it'll depend on whether JT is actually going to be that three down back that they can use all the time um there there's, for having the best running back in the country there's certainly questions there yeah, yeah and
2: just just piggybacking off of that don't you think that makes Wisconsin a little bit less predictable if they're able to get away from taylor taylor groschek which oh, is yeah. essentially run run pass
1: yeah i mean I, I, how how often i in a not saying do this all the time but you can sit there in in the press box at times and you kind of know what's coming and if and if idiots like me know what's coming you have to know that people on the other sideline know what's coming as well, and yeah, the the ability to have a little bit more flexibility in what you're able to call with Jonathan Taylor on the field gives you that uh, perhaps you know more, I guess, balance uh, in your play calling, and teams won't know what's coming. But I, I just we we've heard it before with them wanting to get guys involved in the past game before, and we and we haven't seen it, so I I'm hesitant to just accept that that oh. John Settle says that's what it's going to be. You know, we'll see.
0: Right, and I mean, with Groshek too. I mean, I know he had that was a forty-three yard screen pass that went for a touchdown in the season opener last season, and I know he looked good. I, I think he looked good in the spring when it came to he had that was a ten yard, eight to ten yard touchdown pass from Graham Mertz. He reeled that in, and he had a couple of touchdown passes from Jack Cohn at the or receptions from Jack Cohn. At the the final spring practice on april twenty sixth, so that's you know, we'll see how much more you know he, that adds to his plate and if he gets involved in that or if they even do some. I know he, on Instagram too, he had a picture of him handing off to Isaac Arendo, which'll I'll segue into this next question coming up where it looked like a wildcat type look. So if that's a I'm not sure if that was just a little tease on his part, but we'll see from the former prep quarterback here in in the state. But uh, you know, can I can of, I ask a quick question? Just a yeah, quick yeah. question.
1: Uh, if you're going to have a former prep quarterback be your, your your wildcat guy, if you know if they're going to do it, at some point you got to pass it, right?
0: Right. I think so. When's the last time? When's the
1: last time has he thrown a ball ever?
0: I think they did that in the Big Ten title game. What James White did in 2012 yeah. against Nebraska.
1: R- oh, right. Oh, I'm I'm not I'm not saying. Ever, I'm saying they've have they done it with has Paul Chris done it? I shouldn't say it because they did that with the, the quarterbacks uh, in 2011, but have they done it of late? Have they have they done it since they've uh, brought that back a little bit? And that wasn't and that wasn't uh, Wildcat. That was a toss to Monty Ball and throwing back across the field to Russell Wilson, right? Or the other time it was that that was in the Big Ten Championship game, also against Indiana, but also in the 2012 Championship game, they did the the uh, Abert to Kirk Phillips, and he got he got tackled at the one-yard line. But I'm just wondering, like, are we actually going to see a, a running back throw a football this
0: year? Right. I mean, I think that with that, it, it goes back to really, I mean, how much they trust the play, and if they trust the player, and maybe, you know, how that plays out, and maybe it's a year wiser for both of them. And if they add a I'm little sure. wrinkle, depending upon what happens now that they don't have Hornybrook, if depending upon what they feel about Jack Cohn or any of the other three quarterbacks, maybe Graham Mertz or Chase Wolfe,
1: yeah. I I'm going to shut, shut up, up now because Garrett Groshek did throw a pass in 2017. So I'm going to shut up, but um, I'd like to see it. <laughs> if
0: you're going to do it, I'd like to see it more. And I mean, going with that, you know, <laughs> yeah, you threw me off. This is, this is, I, Sorry. I, no, it's all good with now you have, you know, behind them, you, know, you have Brady shipper, you have Isaac Garendo. They you know, redshirt freshmen. They played a bit last year uh, sparingly, but they transitioned back from wide receiver to running back and, you know, Julius Davis as well, incoming true freshman. I liked what shipper did in the spring when it came to uh, a few of the plays, he flashed out of the backfield, almost, you know, kind of, kind of a down and distance type back. It looked like, and Garendo showed off some of the speed. And I know Groshek, even at the beginning of the spring had mentioned that uh, once Garendo stops, kind of thinking about where to go and whatnot, uh, he'll be someone to watch. I guess is there anybody out of those three that you feel could find some significant playing time this year, and does it involve injury?
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know if anybody's going to be able to make an impact this year. But I'll, I'll say this: I in sitting up there and watching in practice, how about Brady Shipper really stood out? I know he got hurt late, but I thought he, he was kind of Groshick 2.0. Um, I thought he looked a little bit faster than Groshick. He got again, he got hurt late, but I thought he looked really good catching the ball. Um, Isaac Garendo, we all know about his speed he's been forced to go in between positions, you know, they, they haven't, hopefully they just let him sit at running back and let him be a running back and not move him back and forth to wide receiver. But um, I'm anxious to see Davis, both of you guys, both of you have seen him in person. Um, is he a hundred percent coming off the surgery? That's the question. I mean, he had the surgery that in, uh, I want to say it was, is it in January, February? It was, uh, it was late. Um, had he not gotten hurt, you guys certainly know his numbers last year would have been insane. Um, I think he has a chance to be special, and I'd, I'd like to see what that looks like in person. But I'm not sure any of them have a a chance to have a true big impact this year. But again, they can play four. I mean, with uh, especially with Julius, you can play four games, you're not going to lose a redshirt. So um, we may see him. I just don't know if we're going to see a lot of them.
2: Right. And then you know, going back to Taylor, uh, two parter here. Does he go over 2,000 yards a season? in the second yes. part does well okay, okay the second part does he break the career fbs rushing record
1: you are not going to you're not going to add the asterisks in there cuz that's uh we we all know what record we're talking about right we're talking about the one that was stolen from ron dane uh by <laughs> Donnell Pumphrey, um yep. Yep. who who uh is quite a few yards short of where ron dane is either way i want to say yes for many reasons largely because i want i want taylor to own the fbs record but not own the school record just to highlight the NCAA's ridiculousness and not going back and adding bull stats but I think he does come up short because again how many carries does he get if he gets does he get if he gets 300 um well, I think we, we worked the numbers out what do he, he would have to average uh if he gets if he average if he put up it was 307 he had last year at carries if he averaged a tenth of a yard or maybe his two tenths of a yard more um this year he would break it um, that would be 7.4 or 7.3. That's asking a lot, especially, uh, with the uncertainty in the passing game, it's asking a lot with, with, an offensive line that is not as experienced as the one he was up, uh, or he, he ran behind last year. So, uh, I think he comes up short, which is unfortunate.
0: Now transition hmm. over the fullbacks real quick before we uh, take a break. Mason Stocky appeared to be the heir apparent. You got some game time action last year, especially in that pinstripe bowl. I know Mike Lucas from UWBadgers.com had that article kind of about talking about passing the torch and Stocky's name when it came up there. But he also caught a bit of the injury bug in the spring, which is something that he's had to deal with throughout his Wisconsin career so far. Um, but, you know, you have John Chanel who, look, you know, I'll get to him in a little bit, but I, I liked how he performed He showed a little bit of versatility there that you've normally seen from Wisconsin fullbacks in the spring, but you also got a true freshman Quan Easterling who flipped from Akron to Wisconsin. Are are there any concerns though, about the depth in your mind about this position group with just how much the fullbacks have been used in Wisconsin's, you know, offense under Paul Christ.
1: I'd say injury wise, probably, but in talents, um, no, like you, you mentioned, um, the bowl game. I, I believe someone called it the, the, the block he had, I think he blocked two guys and they called it ingle desk uh, on one play in the bowl game against Miami. So I like Stocky. I think he's, I, I think if healthy, he'll probably be your guy, but I really, really like John Chanel. I'm I'm with you in that. He, uh, he looks the part. Uh, I think either of them will be just fine. I don't know a ton about Quinn Easterlin. Um, you know, you, you both, obviously, follow recruiting much, 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 much closer than I do, but um, I I don't, I couldn't tell you uh, whether uh, he's going to have an opportunity. Injury-wise, may, injuries may uh, impact that, certainly.
2: Yeah, I think I'd be surprised if, you know, Easterling carved out a significant role, you know, right away as a true freshman, like you talked about, Zach, you know, maybe we see him in, you know, two or three games, so he can preserve that redshirt, but uh, you know, just in terms of, you know, where his body's at right now, it's a tough position to walk in and play as a true freshman.
1: Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, not everyone walks in like the Schnall brothers, right? Yeah. Uh, Walking, benching 400 pounds and throwing <laughs> dudes around and, and uh, taking each other on head to head, to head, head to head, uh, constantly in spring. Uh, I think that may have been the highlight of spring, uh, those two guys going at each other. Uh, and I think it's going to be a highlight going farther. but uh, John Schnall, uh, certainly looks the part and I think he's going to him and stocky, yeah, I think will be just fine if they're, if, uh, if they're both able to stay healthy.
0: I was to say too, I mean, I guess my, my last question with this, uh, with, you know, I mentioned Chanel's performance and you, you mentioned it as well, but do you, with the competition, I guess it's, I'm wondering, do you feel that this, that they'll complement each other? like kind of like what Ramish and Ingold did back in, in 17, uh, or, you know, what does Chanel need to do to kind of overcome Mason Stocky in that fact? That if, if you, if Stocky can stay healthy, is it that utilizing that versatility more in your opinion?
1: Yeah. You know, I feel like they're both going to get playing time. I don't think there's going to be a guy that grabs it. And it's going to be his, and it's only going to be his. I think they'll use both of them. There's no, I mean, Stocky has very little, uh experience and he doesn't have like that huge advantage that uh you know some like like ingold did last year you know like he had he did uh we knew who he was going to be the guy um but even before that yeah him or ramish you know split carries but you know i'm I remember talking to ingold and he was you know he was excited about having the opportunity to be the guy uh after having to to share some time and even having you know ramish was the the guy um not not that Engle didn't get playing time, but he was the guy. I think in this situation, this has an opportunity to be just, you know, two guys each playing a bunch of football, um, but neither of them being the guy. And I think that's fine. I don't think that there's a problem with that.
0: Zach, would you mind coming back for one more segment with us? We want to preview the outside linebackers, my good man. Of course. Excellent. Folks, we're gonna take a quick break. Give us about ah, 30 to 60 seconds. We'll come back here on the BadgerBlitz.com podcast, powered by Overtime Media. Welcome back. BadgerBlitz.com podcast powered by Overtime Media. This is Jay Kokorowski. we got John McNamara, as always, on the podcast. And joining us, our guest from WOZN here in Madison, sports director, co-host of the camp and the swing. we got Zach Heilprint on, and we talked running backs and fullbacks in the first segment. Now we go to outside linebackers and a group, again, more winds of change, which has been very uh, a constant. In the past few years, in this three-four scheme, Wisconsin needs to replace Andrew Van Ginkle's athleticism, production, playmaking ability at the position. In your opinion, Zach, from what you saw, and uh, there's Zach Bond, and we'll get to him in a little bit too. I think he'll have a big year. But did the spring relieve any concerns you had about the uh, about the position group?
1: Maybe now. Maybe I'm an outlier, but no, I don't. I think they may be the biggest question mark of any group right now. Um, I mean, Andrew Van Ginkel was the the guy last year when he was healthy, but he wasn't healthy. But we, we saw what he did uh, specifically the Purdue game, but he was also pretty good in the bowl game as well. Um, I don't I don't think anyone really stood out having a great spring, though. There were certainly flashes. Uh, you know, Zach Bond, you mentioned Isaiah Green, May, Galen Franklin. I think all you know made some plays at times, but no, I think they're Zach the outside linebacker group in general. Um, is a huge, huge question mark, and I don't, you know, I I think you're right that Zach Bond can be that guy, but behind him, behind, you know, what else is there? There's a lot of unproven bodies.
2: Yeah, and, you know, continuing with Bond, uh, I, I don't know if he was ever 100% healthy last year. Um, I don't know how much it was talked about, but, uh, you know, if, assuming that he's 100%, what do you think he can bring to that outside linebacker position?
1: It's funny, the uh, 2016 Ohio State game was on uh, maybe yesterday uh, or the day before. And, um, I caught part of it where he, they had Vaughn, bon, um, covering right of way down the field one time in the end zone, the other time on the sideline, it was a great catch on the sideline, but he had really good coverage. And, um, I didn't think he looked totally unnatural doing that. So I think it's, it's obvious that he's got the athletic ability. Um, he's, he's got the skill. Can he stay healthy and produce? Um, he's, he has to be the, he has to be Andrew Van Ginkle. He has to be, uh the guy that you can point to and say we're gonna get a consistent performance, we're gonna he's gonna get after the quarterback. Cause the the outside linebackers outside of Andrew Van Ginkle last year just didn't do a ton. And you're right. Was Zach Bond healthy? Probably he wasn't. But that um that's been his kind of his MO, right? I mean and so I he is he is the one of if he is one of the most important guys on that defense in staying healthy because they need pressure off the edge or else everything else falls apart.
0: And with that too, I mean, you have Noah Burks, you know, we saw him in the spring, Zach, there was in the base three, four scheme. Burks seemed to be in the first team look there. And then, uh, you know, in the base look and then Isaiah green may came in and especially like midway through towards the end, really received reps next to bond in the first team and nickel sub packages. I guess, I mean, that seemed to me like a step up, especially with Christian bell being injured and rehabbing uh during the spring. But those two kind of stepping up, did you see signs of potential productivity from those two in the spring?
1: Yeah, Noah Noah Burks is um a guy who who we've seen a ton on special teams and he's he's gotten a little bit of action, you know, as well. But um I think we're all kind of surprised that he was out there, right? And I I I think that they're um you know, that was that was a bit of a surprise. But uh they clearly think that he can give them something or else he wouldn't. Uh now certainly the injuries to some of the other guys probably affected that. But um yeah, I, you know, Isaiah Green May is a different body. You know, he is a he is a tall, rangy guy, um, still needs to put on a little bit more weight, but he uh he, he I think he can be a problem pass rushing wise. So those two probably complement each other a little bit. Um but uh those those um Again, I, it's th- this position as I'm going to continue to say is so up in the air in terms of what we're going to see from these from from these guys because we haven't seen production on a regular basis from any of them. Uh, you know, Bond played a ton of, of football last year. Um, I think he had seven and a half tackles for loss, two and a half sacks. That's solid, and it has to be better than that. And those other guys certainly as well.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned Burks, you know, playing with the first team this spring was maybe a little bit of a surprise. Uh maybe the guy penciled in going in the spring was Tyler Johnson. Uh, you know, you look at him and you look at Christian Bell, uh, where do they kind of fit this this fall, uh, in terms of you know, what role they might play on this team?
1: I think a lot of people thought Tyler Johnson was gonna have a, a chance to to really be that third guy last year behind Bond and Van Ginkle, but then he got hurt um early and was never able to. I mean like I mean, he ended up playing in 10 games, uh, finished 11 tackles, did have three sacks. So, uh, the ability to, um, potentially get after the quarterback is, is there. Um, you know, I, the thing about, we all expected Christian Bell oh, went to Alabama. He's going to be off. Awesome. He's going to come here. He's going to be awesome. He's going to start right away. We haven't seen any of that. Um, that's not to say that he can't be that guy it's not saying that he's not going to be able to come in and play, but, uh, or or be a, have a, have a role and be a, and be more than just a a backup. But um, these are both guys, two guys that they need to have better spring or better fall camps or better fall, better seasons than they did last year. Um, They counted on them last year and they got very little from either consistently.
0: I guess to kind of wrapping up the position group, uh, you know, behind those four, right. Or four or five guys, you know Griffin Grady, who transitioned. I mean, he's been injured here and there, bumped outside of the edge. Uh, didn't I? I didn't see too much of him in the spring, in terms of maybe getting you know, the reserve reps, in terms of acclimating himself to the position. But then you you also saw a lot more from from Jalen Franklin and, and Spencer Lytle, who I think both showed some athleticism, and Lytle capped off the end of his first spring ball as a true freshman mid-year enrollee with an interception to end all the, you know, the, the final snap before they, for those that haven't seen the, the offensive lineman doing the punt returns that was, or catching the punts. Uh, that was the end of spring ball right there. But the last snap was a Spencer Lytle interception off of Danny Vandenboom. But do you see any of those three, finding time for reps behind those four. I still feel like maybe Lytle and Franklin need to gain a little bit more weight, maybe Grady too, based off of what they were listed on the spring roster.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree on the weight thing with, with Spencer Lytle. Gail Franklin stood out. I mean, I, again, all these guys need to gain, need to be bigger. You would think um, at least according to what we've seen some of these guys play at in previous years, but can they play at two twenty five? I yeah, probably. And so if they can get to that point, yeah, I think they're going to have an opportunity. Especially, I, I like Spencer. I don't. Um, again, he he made he did make plays. He had uh, I think uh, uh, yeah I think he had a uh, strip. I know Jalen Franklin had a strip f- uh, fumble on a sack, and like they were able to get out. They were able to hit the quarterback sometimes when they were getting on the field because it was you know it was the the backups, and um, so they got out after the quarterback a couple different times, and they they have. I guess the possibility of having an impact this fall, but again, you guys follow recruiting. How many outside linebackers do they have in their 2020 class?
2: Uh, Two committed right now. I'm sorry. One
1: committed right now,
0: Nick Herbig. Yeah. If you don't don't count Cole Dakovich who right now sounds like he's going to be more of a tight end, right?
1: Yeah. But they, how many, I I shouldn't say that. How many linebackers do they have committed?
2: Uh, Three committed right now. Probably looking to add a fourth and Caden Johnson. Caden Kay- Johnson. Yeah, he he's their you know their last big piece that they're looking for there.
1: So they clearly know that they need the, uh, an infusion of talent at the spot, right? To go along with Spencer Lytle and to go along with Jalen and to to uh, you know in some of the recent pickups. Because I, I the talent at the outside linebacker spot has dropped has, has dropped off considerably from where it was, and I'm not saying that you should expect have an nfl you know draft pick every single year um but right now is there a single guy that you look at and say that guy's going to be in the nfl next year or even two years from now like i don't i don't not sure they have that guy and so um as, as why as i've said again and again the position has as big a question as big a question mark as any on the team
2: and then, and then the, going into the last question and i, I think i know what your answer is going to be zach the question is, if we oh, set, me. sorry. sorry. <laughs> if we set, well, I'll lower the number now.
0: <laughs> if we set the
2: over-under for leading sack at 8.5 or even 7.5 or 6.5, does anyone from this group get over that amount this year? My answer stands. <laughs> so I'm saying like... Uh... Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to argue like, with you. I I would have yeah. said under as well. So,
1: so so I mean, the last two years the leading sackers been Van Ginkle, uh, and he had five and a half last year, and he had six and a half the year before. Al James had six and a half as well. Um, so, they haven't put up a huge, huge. And I think that's been a that was certainly an issue last year. Not as much of an issue the year before, um, but not having because they were still able to get after the quarterback. They, they didn't get after the quarterback last year barely at all. Um, you know, in terms of hitting them and getting at and making life difficult for them. So uh, it would be a shock to see um, someone, anyone get over six and a half or seven and a half or whatever the number is. Um, I I would be, I would be shocked if one of the outside linebackers did it.
0: All right. All right. Zach, Zach, my friend, before we let you go, you know we hear you know we hear you at 96.7 fm here in madison 1670 a.m the zone w o z n here in town and we know you have the podcast but what do you got coming up coming up for you guys i know we'll see you in just about a week in a couple days down in luxurious chicago uh at the hotel but what what do you got going on coming up for the season and for fall camp
1: yeah well obviously excited to get down to chicago and a lot of really good interviews. Uh, a lot of different guys. There's actually, it's kind of funny. There's actually more former, uh, like Wisconsin natives from other states that are going to be there uh, than than actually uh, that are than than the Wisconsin kids. You got Tyler Biotich, obviously, that's coming from Wisconsin. Then you have Ben Breiterson. You have um, Torrin Young. You have Nate um, Stanley. Uh, Ch- Yes, thank you. Uh, so you have three four, three Wisconsin high school kids coming from other teams, and only one that's actually from Wisconsin. But either way, uh, a lot of a lot of interviews. Uh, excited to get down there and talk to those guys, and um, you know, and then we'll be doing shows. The camp going we'll to be doing shows down there, and then also we've uh, got the Wisconsin football roundtable coming up this fall. With uh, it's going to be a live show uh, every Thursday with uh, former Badgers. One of, one of your favorites, Jake Brady Ewing. Uh, oh, great. Uh, yeah, fullback and uh, former Wisconsin quarterback John Stocko. So a couple of new, uh, couple of new uh, voices, I guess you would say, with the Wisconsin Football Roundtable to go along uh, with our podcast as well. And can't wait to get down there. And uh, certainly appreciate you guys having me. Uh...
0: No, Zach, man, we appreciate you coming on the show. We'll see you next week, man, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks, Zach. All right, guys, thanks.
0: Bye. Guys, Zach Kyle from WOZN, of course, co-host of The Camp and uh, The Swing. And of course, he's a sports director at 96.7 FM, 1670 AM, the zone here in Madison, one of my favorite people on the beat. And we're going to take a quick break, come back, wrap up the show with some mailbag questions coming up on the BadgerBlitz.com podcast powered by Overtime Media. Wrap it up this edition of the BadgerBlitz.com podcast, of course. Powered by Overtime Media, John McNamara, Jay Korowski here, and it we're going mailbag segment, folks. We had a lot of great content there, a lot of great previews. Big thanks to Zach Heilprin from WOZN, uh, and of course, you can follow him on Twitter, Zach Heilprin, that's Zach Heilprin, uh, one word, no underscore, like you had with Jason Galloway his Twitter. But now let's talk some mailbag. Let's let's get to some questions that our subscribers had. For you guys, uh, you guys subscribe to badgerblitz.com, which a lot of you guys started back in June, and thank you for that. We have now in the Badgers Den an ability. Uh, basically, we every week we send out, hey, we got some. Uh, we're recording some podcasts this week. Give us some questions, and you guys, thankfully, obliged. So, kicking it off, John. First one from Bardo two twenty two, who I think he had one last week. Can you explain to fans how in-state recruiting in basketball is a different monster, he puts in parentheses, AAU, travel teams, et cetera, than in-state recruiting in football?
2: Yeah, I think it's a great question and something that, you know, the last, you know, two or three or four years has been really relevant uh, inside the state of Wisconsin. uh, When you look at the two programs, uh, football and basketball, um, starting with football, I think, you know, you have to go back to what Barry Alvarez did and, you know, because, you know, you know, Jakey wrote a book about it. You know, a lot of uh, it was, you know, when Barry Alvarez came in, guys were leaving the state to go to other teams and, mm-hmm. you know, playing for Wisconsin wasn't, uh, you know, it's certainly something that was on the table and it crossed their minds, but that was not a given uh, that, you know, if you got an offer from Wisconsin that you were going to stay inside the state. And uh, for the most part that that's, been the way it's been for the last, you know, 20, 25 years, there's, there's been, only been a handful of guys that I can think of, uh, who have left the state who had, who had had an offer from Wisconsin, uh, you know, guys like Ben Bredesen, uh, Nate Stanley, uh, the cornerback from Bradford, uh, his Trey Waynes. Yeah. Trey Waynes. I mean, AJ Natter who wound up at Nebraska. I mean, those are just the names kind of at the top of my head, but it's, it's, it's very few, uh, that, that, have done that. And if you look at basketball, it's it's a little bit more common. And uh, you know, in this question, it's a uh, part of that is is AAU, and I, I think that plays a huge role in it. And we've talked about you know on the podcast before, um, you know, Wisconsin's connections with AAU programs and uh, the ones that they have really good relationships with uh, D1 Minnesota, which uh, Tyler Wall is from, and, and Nate Reavers is from, and uh, their most recent offer, Stephen Crawl, uh, in the 2020 class, he plays for D1 Minnesota. And then the Wisconsin Playground Warriors or Wisconsin Playground Club, which has sent a a number of kids, uh, Jordan and Jonathan Davis play for that. So it's not exclusively, you know, Wisconsin recruiting those programs, but because AAU is such an influential thing with where these guys wind up, uh, you know, you kind of look back to the programs that you've had those, you know, success with and. And you have those connections with, so, um, you know, I think there's a lot more that goes into it. I could, you know, you could probably spend a whole podcast talking about this, but it's, it's not the same. And I think AAU is a, is a huge part of that. And, you know, the relationships that you have with those uh, AAU programs are, you know, just as, or maybe even more important than the relationships you have with, with the high school uh, coaches and, and, and the, and the, you know, the people there. So uh, again, I think it's, it's, it's something that you could talk a lot about. And it's super relevant right now with, with the things that are going on in Wisconsin, but um, AU plays a huge role in that. And uh, you know, maybe we'll talk about it at more length, uh, you know, down the road at some point.
0: Sounds like for a great, maybe once basketball signing day starts, maybe we'll do that. I think once, you know, we can talk about the class of 2020 uh, in in detail, but maybe a side podcast would be great for that kind of going in depth and, and maybe, you know, you, you, Know everything too, John. So I think that'd be great to dig deeper into that as well. So uh, we'll put that on the I got that up, stick that to my wall in terms of ideas with my st- other sticky notes. But on to the next one from Jay Suddy, another uh, returning person uh, in the, yeah, a returning subscriber that's and and you know asking a question for us. Do you think the recruiting classes under Paul Christ have taken a step up compared to previous coaches? And if they have made some gains? Can we expect it to continue for a bit yet, or do you see it becoming stagnant? Where might the ceiling be capped uh, relative to the country, uh, to the conference, and then brought more broadly to the country? Uh,
2: another great question. I would say, you know, going into when Paul Chris was hired, I think one of the biggest things, uh, you know, biggest question marks surrounding it would be how well can he recruit? And I think he has exceeded expectations in that department. Uh, I think he's recruited very well. And, you know, what is this? We're entering season five, five or six season five for him
0: at Wisconsin. Yeah. It was 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 Yep, season five.
2: Yeah. And I would say, you know, looking at the classes that he's brought in, you know, the classes that were solely him and his, his coaching staff, I think they've been very good. And I think if you line them up to maybe Brett Bielma's classes, I would say that Wisconsin's classes under Paul Christ have graded out uh, a little bit higher. And, you know, that's, that's a credit to obviously Paul Christ. That's a credit to his assistant coaches. And I I think what, if, if they've done anything very well, it's been identifying talent early in the process and, and landing those guys. And, you know, you look at, uh, you know, this, this past year's class and, and Logan Brown and and Graham Mertz are two great examples of that. So um, I I think this, like I said, this staff has done a great job of identifying talent early and building those relationships. Uh, they've gone into states that were pretty much dead zones for Wisconsin. Uh, I remember, you know, under Brett Bielma, they had Delvon Alexander in the state of Michigan, and, you know, he had a real difficult time getting any traction in that state. And, you know, you look now under Paul Kristen, you know, Michigan has been a, a really great state for them uh, in the last handful of classes. And uh, in this 2020 class, obviously getting Jordan Turner was a huge get. So. Um, I think they've done some really solid things and, um, you know, in terms of where the ceiling might be, you know, I think people might go back to, well, Wisconsin is going to have to recruit kids that, that can get through the door. And that's just the reality there. So, um, you know, I, I think that they can continue to recruit at this level. I think it get a little bit higher, you know, if you, if you hit on a lot of your top kids. Um, but again, you, you know, Wisconsin is in a position where, you know, they have to be a fit both on and off the field and that will limit you, uh, you know, to, to a certain degree. I don't think it's crippling. It obviously isn't, but to some degree, you know, you, you, you aren't able to do stuff like, you know, schools in the SEC are able to or, you know, a couple other schools in the Big Ten. So um, it, it, as a whole, I think Paul Chris has exceeded expectations for what he's done on the
0: recruiting front. And then uh, a, new, a new subscriber or a new person uh, providing a question, In Too Deep. Jonathan Taylor recently said, and this is goes back by the way, folks to a question that uh, a tweet that Jason Galloway has sent out a couple weeks ago at a legends of Wisconsin golf outing at university Ridge. Uh, that was in late June where Jonathan Taylor said, both quarterbacks were great players implying it's a two quarterback race in the fall camp. If that's the case, who are the two quarterbacks? And he says, if, they he I think we're all assuming it's Mertz and Cohn, but would like to hear if either of you can confirm or have heard otherwise. just as a quick recap on that, I think that's a safe assumption, although and I think John you and I both you know we talked about it, chase Wolf, you know, I think he's got a dynamic skill set I like his the attributes that he has um and the intangibles there, but uh, we, I, unless you've heard something, John. I, I think we ha- we can't necessarily confirm that because because things have been pretty tight lipped. And as much as we try to hear from other sources or recruits, when you hear about their visits and what they're saying, uh, nothing has come from Wisconsin, and and it's been pretty tight lipped there. So I I can't confirm anything on my end.
2: Yeah, Jake said he's going to ask Paul Chris the first question in Chicago. Yep, about, basically. Uh about that tweet no obviously it's not something that that wisconsin's going to confirm i i mean i'm probably 99 percent sure that you know he was talking about jack Cohn and and graham mertz but again you know they'll we've you've talked about it quite a bit you know on the podcast we've written about i think cone you know goes into fall camp as the starter and you know behind him it's it's probably mertz and and chase wolf and and Danny Vandenboom, and um, I'm just interested to see how the snaps shake out. And you know, we talked about this with Jason Galloway how early will we be able to see that separation? But I don't expect to get a depth chart anytime soon. Uh, you know, I, I would maybe the first one we get is, is you know, seven days out from from South Florida. So um, we're not going to get much confirmation. I, I wouldn't expect much from Chicago, Jake, you know, in terms of what Paul Chris is going to give us, uh, just because he generally doesn't give you a whole lot. I think he enjoys not giving you a whole lot uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when he talks to the media. So, again, we're not going to get that confirmed, but I, I have to believe it, it was Jack Cohn and, and Graham Mertz behind him.
0: It feels that way. It does. Uh, we'll see what comes of it. And, yeah, I don't think we're going to depth chart until those game notes come out on that. I'm sure they'll do it because it's on a Friday night again. I'm sure they'll have the Sunday press conferences. They'll kick off all that uh, going on. And that'll be at the end of August, which, speaks of which, I got to – as I told you earlier before we started recording, I gotta buy my ticket down to Tampa soon before the prices get jacked up. And wrapping up these mailbag questions, we got two from 3 Jack. Love the username, by the way. First one for football. How did Caden Lyles look in his transition back to the O-line? I was worried that even though they were say they said they were loaning him to the D-line only for a year, that they'd keep him there. I was a big fan of his high school film. So just curious, how is he doing back where he belongs? And I don't know, maybe I'll take this one, John. I thought he looked solid. There are some growing pains in terms of getting back and kind of knocking off the rust uh, back from being an offensive, defensive lineman uh, for a year. And, you know, you dive deep in there. He started games. He immersed himself in, I mean, I remember being – astounded that he was actually starting or as was the first team defensive lineman when fall camp started last August. So, uh, but going back to what we saw in the spring, you know, he worked at left guard, he worked at center, you know, Joe Rudolph made some comments saying center was a little bit tougher as a, of a transition to get back into. I, in my opinion, I think left guard is probably where he'd be at or one of the guard positions. So, uh, but I thought he made the transition well. He got a lot of snaps during that time. So I think that worked in his favor. Uh, and so I think he'll be in position to compete for one of those starting guard positions. Uh, and, you know, because I feel Wisconsin right now has Tyler Biotish at center. Cole Van Lennon will be at left tackle. I have a good feeling Logan Bruss will be at right tackle, despite getting some time at right guard. So he got some little versatility there on the right side of the line if they need to. But. I think, you know, Jason Erdman, David Mormon, Josh uh, Seltzner, and then all, Caden Lyles, they'll all be competing for spots uh, in that interior guard spot. So I think he, he's he got the talent. I thought he looked solid. Uh, I think there's still, you know, according to Coach Rudolph's, uh, according to Joe Rudolph's explanation in mid-April, uh, you know, still kind of working back in there. But I think he'll be a factor. I think he'll be... Probably he has that potential to be one of the best, you know, one of the better linemen to come out of UW after his career is done.
2: Yeah, and I there's not much more I can add to that. I, I can just say that I, I know that Joe Rudolph loves Caden Lyles and and what his potential is, and that goes back to when they were recruiting him and, and talking to some people there. Um, You know, I, going into that switch, I, and I was pretty sure that there was a stipulation there that, you know, he was absolutely coming back because I know that's where the coaches feel that his, you know, his highest ceilings at because he was a very good defensive lineman coming out of high school at the first, you know, when he was in Arizona and then he played his last year at Middleton. But uh, the Wisconsin coaches staff very much feels that his his highest potential or where, where he can kind of hit his hit his ceiling is uh, definitely on the offensive line. They really like his potential there. So, um, you know, I, I think he shook off some rust. This spring and you know once he gets more comfortable getting back to the offensive line i I would expect big things from him and you know like you said jake he's definitely penciled in as a starter for this 2019 season
0: wrapping up this mailbag segment then for basketball um how many minutes do you think this will be on the basketball side how many minutes do you think tyler wall true freshman 2019 signee gets this upcoming season if you've seen him in person do you think he's a legit 6'7 and if so I think you could be a guy that could give you some minutes at the four if the opponent it goes small. I'm. They only have nine. Based off of our basketball scholarship chart, there's only nine scholarship players for Wisconsin right now, right, John? For this, for the basketball for gray guard squad.
2: Yes. Are we counting Trevor
0: Anderson? I think if we count him, that'd be ten. Yeah. So there's like a feel. There has to be some feeling that he'll go and, and receive a scholarship with so many open. So my knowledge,
2: what I've been told is that Trevor Anderson is on scholarship right now. So, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, Ten guys on scholarship right now, um, you know, all those guys. I mean, if you look at those guys, maybe with the exception of Joe Hedstrom, you know, you feel like those nine guys on scholarship, um, you know, are going to be in that rotation. And I think that that includes Tyler Wall. I I think he plays as a as a true freshman. I think there's going to be a role for him on that team. Um, you know, maybe behind Kobe King uh, at, at the, at the you know, at the wing or the small forward or the three spot there. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the lean forward. Does he play more power forward? But again, going back to wall, I, I think he plays right away. And I think the reason why is because he can defend really well. And, you know, one of the things we heard a lot about him from high school is that, you know, he can guard positions one through five. He's, you know, he's guarded really good point guards. He's, he's also battled against, you know, uh, Guys like Matthew Hurt, you know, a top ten kid in the country, uh, who's who's a center. Um, I, he's headed to Duke, I believe. Yeah, I think he signed with Duke. So his ability to guard is what makes him kind of a unique player. Uh, I think his offensive skills are are, are still kind of uh, you know developing, you know, specifically his outside shot. But because he can defend, I think he plays right away. So you know, if if teams do go small, I don't think he'd have any problem playing uh, or guarding the four. Um, I, I think that's, that's something that he can certainly do. Um, so yeah, I think because he can defend, um, you know, obviously we haven't seen him play at the college level, but, uh, you know, because he has a, a reputation as a strong defender, I think he plays right away in terms of the exact minutes. I think that's tough, but, uh, well, uh, what I'll say at this point is I think he plays as
0: a true freshman. And we thank everybody for your questions we'll get to more of them down the road whether it's podcast video q a etc we'll let you know more uh once we figure out more formats and, and how work what works best for you the subscribers but we'll we'll keep it in podcast form for now so thank you for that john anything else before we let you get before we let you go for this evening and before we let our subscribers and our listeners go for the weekend coming up
2: uh well we'll be hitting some au events coming up uh, my two LA has an event starting tomorrow, which is Thursday. Uh, we'll be covering those. And, uh, like we talked about on the podcast, uh, big 10 media days are right around the corner. That gets us in the fall camp and, uh, we're, we're ready with that coverage.
0: Exactly. And of course, you guys, everyone, you guys can follow us on Twitter at McNamara rivals, me at Jake Coco, uh, John, of course, again, like I said, at McNamara rivals, and then you can also, Find at uh, at Badger underscore Blitz on Twitter, Instagram. Find look at Badger Blitz. Also for Facebook, Wisconsin Badgers on Badger. Uh, yeah, Wisconsin Badgers on BadgerBlitz.com. And then for this podcast, uh, let us know what we can do better. We've gotten some feedback already that we've already started to work to implement with that. Uh, we have obviously you guys can go on Overtime Media, but then also you have two. You guys have Apple podcast. You have Google podcast. We have Spotify. You guys can click and subscribe from there. Uh, Please. uh, If you have reviews, Hey, we love them. Uh, As a a former colleague of mine would say, five-star reviews only. Thank you. Owen Reese for that. Uh, But let us know what we can do better. uh, And let us know what, how we can make this the most Wisconsin centric podcast, the best Wisconsin centric podcast possible on that note, Uh, especially with guests, other stuff like that. And on that note, I'm going to stop talking, stop uh, jibber jabbering. You guys have a great weekend ahead coming up. We'll have another episode down the road. We'll figure out when, but we'll let you guys know, hopefully some more guests as we prepare for big 10 media days. But for, you know, big thanks again to Zach Halperin from WOZN 96.7 FM, 1670 AM, the zone sports director there. Uh, Of course, the great co-host of the camp and the swing joining us today. Big thanks to John for making time again. Uh, tonight. And thank you all for listening. We'll catch you guys next week on another edition of the badger blitz.com podcast powered by overtime media.